Now, if you're able, please stand for a reading of God's Word. This morning, we continue our sermon series to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and they said to him, have, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set, him, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his, with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Do you truly understand Jesus Christ? Do you truly understand Jesus Christ? Before you answer that question, I want you to think about something for just a second. The disciples of Jesus walked with him for three years. They heard every word that Jesus preached. They saw every miracle that he performed. They saw Jesus walk on water. They watched him heal the sick, restore sight to the blind, restore hearing to the deaf. He made the mute speak. He cast out demons. They were with him when he fed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread. And they were with him again when he fed 4,000 people with only seven loaves of bread. And yet after all the disciples saw and all that they heard, 
They still did not understand Jesus. How can that be? How could the disciples witness so much from Jesus and yet still not understand him? The answer to that question should haunt us. Because you and I are just like them. It is possible to hear of Jesus, to read about Jesus, to be taught about Jesus, to hear what Jesus did, to listen to what he said and still not truly understand him. And so this is the question. Do you understand Jesus Christ? This morning as we look at the feeding of the 4,000, what I want us all to see is that Jesus is more. He is more than what we can possibly understand. The first way I want to see this, I want you to see that the grace of Jesus is more abundant than our own goodness. Now there is so much here in this passage much more than we have time to cover this morning. And so I want to begin towards the end. I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 8, verse 15. It's there in your bulletin or you can get out a Bible. And as we begin, I just want to focus on just one verse. Again, Mark 8, verse 15. It's a warning. A warning that Jesus gave to his disciples. And it's a warning that you and I need to hear this morning. This is what Jesus said. Mark tells us he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, what does that mean? Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, in order to understand Jesus's warning, we need to kind of understand what's going on here. Jesus' disciples are on a boat, and they're hungry, and they're beginning to quarrel with each other because no one remembered to bring bread. Now, now before you get mad at the disciples, I think they make easy targets for us sometimes, I want you to really put yourself in their shoes. So children, this morning I want you to pretend that you're going on a fishing trip. You and all your siblings, and you're going on a fishing trip in a boat with your dad. Imagine how excited you are going out on the water with your dad, going out into the middle of the lake. Not only are you with your dad, but with your siblings, and you can't wait to catch fish. Now, if you've ever been on a fishing trip in the middle of the water, you need to know a couple things. First, you're surrounded by water. And if you're surrounded by water, that means whatever you have in the boat is all that you have. The second thing is when you're under the sun, you get hungry, don't you? Have you ever been really hungry? When you're really hungry, what happens to you? You get hangry, don't you? Yeah, you get a little hungry and that turns into hangry. You get a little angry, you get a, you get a little frustrated. That's what's happening to these disciples. Now, I want you to imagine, okay, you're finally hungry, you're getting a little hangry, and now you're ready for the snacks. And so you look to your brother and you say, hey, where are the snacks? And your brother says, well, I thought you brought them. And then you look to your, your sister and you say, well, you have the snacks, right? And she says, no, he was supposed to bring them. 
And now suddenly you're not just hangry because you're hungry. You're actually angry at each other. This is what's going on with the disciples. It's understandable that they feel this way. But here's the difference. They're not with their dad. They're with Jesus. And not only are they with Jesus, but they just saw him feed not just 12 guys with one loaf of bread. They just saw him feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. And yet here they are wondering how they're going to eat. How could the disciples be so forgetful? What is it about them that they cannot remember what Jesus has just done? I want you to look with me at Mark 8 verse 1. Mark tells us that in those days there was a great crowd that had gathered. They had nothing to eat. And so Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And notice what the disciples say in verse 4. His disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Now already what I want you to notice, how forgetful the disciples are. You see, they had been in this situation before. Just back in Mark chapter 6, there was a crowd of 5,000 people, only five loaves of bread and a few fish, and Jesus fed all of them. They had already been in this situation. Here they are in the exact same situation. And it's like they forgot everything. And they say, Jesus, what are we going to do with this crowd? How will we feed them? How could they not yet understand? How could they be so forgetful? And so Jesus, verse 5, he says, well, how many loaves do you have? And they say, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down, to sit on the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks, and he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people and before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and he blessed them, and he said, this also you should set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. They took up broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. The disciples went with almost identical miracles, and yet they were so forgetful. In fact, these two miracles are so similar to each other that critics often point to the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 as evidence that the Bible cannot be trusted. They will say, look, Mark is confused. This is why we can't trust the Bible. Look, Mark is describing the same miracle twice. But you see, while there are so many similarities, there are also some very important differences. We'll look at that in just a second. For now, what I want you to notice is that Jesus himself references both miracles in order to show the disciples just how forgetful they really are of God's abundance grace. You know what? We're the exact same way. Why were the disciples so forgetful? How could they not understand Jesus after all they had experienced him do? Jesus says it has something to do with leaven. I want you to look again at verse 15. This is Jesus' warning. Here they are. Again, they've seen him do so much. Feed 5,000, feed 4,000. Now they're arguing over bread in a boat. And Jesus gives this warning. He says, watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees 
and the leaven of Herod. Now, what on earth does that mean? Now, leaven in, in the ancient culture, both in Jewish culture and in Greek culture, was a common metaphor for corruption. Leaven is yeast. And the idea is you just need just a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast to overtake an entire loaf of bread as you're making it. Just a little bit will take over the fermentation process. The Apostle Paul used this exact same metaphor in the book of Galatians. This is what Paul said, Galatians 5 verse 7. Galatians says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, if you know anything about the book of Galatians, you know that the Apostle Paul is not just writing theology for the sake of theology, but he's writing as a pastor to a particular church that has a particular problem. The Galatian church believed in Jesus Christ, but they also thought that they had to earn it. They believed in a salvation by faith and works. Does that sound familiar to any of you? The Galatian church thought you had to be good enough for Jesus. And so the apostle Paul is correcting them. And here's the metaphor. He's saying just a little bit of you trusting in your own goodness completely distorts the gospel. Just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. If there's any part of you that thinks you have to be good enough to earn the favor of God, it is no longer the gospel and it's no longer grace. This is what Jesus means when he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. The gospel of Luke, Jesus says that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. If you're with us just a few weeks ago, we looked at that word, that the word hypocrite is actually an ancient Greek word. It originally described an actor who put on a costume in a play. And so when Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites, he's saying you are like a bunch of actors who have put on costumes. You've tried to put on goodness on your outside when deep down your hearts are far from the grace of God. And so Jesus now is telling his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of self-righteousness. Beware of just a little bit of the belief that you have to be good enough to rescue yourself because when you believe that, you no longer have the ability to receive the grace of God. Why? Well, I think my favorite definition for grace is the most simple one. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. And when you believe that you deserve God's favor, it's no longer grace. So here's the question for you and this, me this morning. How much leaven have you allowed to infect your understanding of Jesus? How much leaven of self-righteousness have you allowed to seep into your heart? Jesus is warning us just a little bit will distort our ability to receive the abundant grace of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, 
He said the greatest enemy to human souls as the self-righteous spirit would make men look to themselves for salvation. Let me say that again, because I think it's important. I think it's true. Spurgeon said the greatest enemy to the human soul. I want you to think about that. There are many enemies to the human soul. Spurgeon is saying the greatest enemy to the human soul is the self-righteous spirit, which makes men look to themselves for salvation. Why is self-righteousness so dangerous? Because it makes us look to ourselves for salvation rather than to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, friends, who do you trust this morning? Who are you looking to for your rescue? How much, if you're honest, do you trust in your own goodness? Here's how you tell. Some of you trust so much in your own goodness that you're frustrated. And every Sunday you come into the sanctuary and you come frustrated and you come ashamed because you do not have enough goodness to make up for your sin. I want you to know none of us do, and that's the problem. Apostle Paul says there is no one who is good, none who is righteous. No one has enough goodness to make up for their failure. Others of you maybe are on the outside of Christianity looking in. Maybe you've grown up around Christianity and you've always thought that Christians were just a bunch of people who thought they were better than everyone else. Maybe you've thought that Christianity was about just being good, about a bunch of people who thought they were good, which makes them hypocrites. If that describes you this morning, I want you to know something. If that frustrates you, if that makes you upset, I want you to know that Jesus agrees with you because it's not the gospel and it's not grace. The feeding of the 4,000 shows us that God has given us everything in abundance. Jesus has provided everything by grace alone. And there is more grace in Jesus than you and I could ever have in our own goodness. The second thing I want you to see, I want you to see that the reign of Jesus is more liberating than our self-rule. Okay, what do I mean by that? Jesus describes not just one kind of leaven, but two kinds of leaven. Look again at verse 15. Jesus cautions his disciples. Again, he says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That's self-righteousness. And the leaven of Herod. Now, if the leaven of the Pharisees is self-righteousness, then what is the leaven of Herod? Well, you know, in those days, there was a group of Jewish people known as the Herodians. Maybe you've heard of the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but you may not have heard of the Herodians. The Herodians were a Jewish sect who aligned themselves with the reign and rule of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a puppet king set up by the Roman Empire to rule over Israel. The Herodians aligned themselves with Herod because they wanted freedom. They wanted to be politically free as the country and nation state of Israel. And because they wanted political freedom more than anything else, they aligned themselves with a king who was known to be vile and violent 
and had no business being on the throne of David. And yet the Herodians, they wanted power. They wanted control. They wanted political power in order to gain freedom. Why? They wanted to rule themselves. The leaven of the Pharisees is self-righteousness. The leaven of Herod is self-rule. And it's in all of us. You see, every single one of us wants to be free. We all want freedom. We want liberation from those who might oppress us. Every one of us wants to be free, not just because we're human beings, but think about it. That is the story of us as Americans, is it not? We are the land of the free. It was Patrick Henry who said, give me liberty or give me death. That battle cry is in all of us. And it should be because the desire for freedom is a good desire. But here's the question. Where is true freedom found? We all need freedom. We all need liberation from oppression. But where is true liberty found? True liberty found is not by freeing ourselves from these oppressors out there. Do you want to know why? Because our greatest oppression is in here. And so often we turn to things that we think will liberate us when the irony is it is those things that enslave us the most. And so in an effort to rule ourselves, just like the Herodians went after a vile and violent king, you and I go after vile and violent kings every single day. And so we turn to power, prestige, when that hunger for power takes over our souls and enslaves us. And we think if we can just get enough money and take care of ourselves and our family, then then we'll be safe and secure. And that love for money begins to put our hearts in chains. Or we think we just give in to temptation, to give in to this lust. And for that moment, we will feel some sort of pleasure when that thing has captured us. We think just one more drink or one more pill and those things are what addict us the most. We turn to things that we think will free us when all the while they enslave us and they put us in shackles. Jesus said, the one who sins is enslaved to sin. And that is what we are, enslaved when we try to rule ourselves. Where is true freedom found? We are most free when we submit ourselves to the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. We are most free when we bow down our knee at the throne of Jesus and we willingly give ourselves to his kingdom and his authority. It is in submission to Jesus that we find freedom. Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. The third and final thing I want us to see this morning, 
I want you to see that the good news of Jesus is more astonishing than you and I could possibly understand. I want you to look with me at verse 16. After Jesus gives this warning, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is self-righteousness, and the leaven of Herod, which is self-rule, his disciples are still arguing over bread. I love that. (laughs) They're still arguing. They, They don't even hear them. They're still at each other trying to figure out how they're going to eat, whose fault is it. And so Jesus asked them a series of questions, eight questions. It's an indictment. Verse 16, we're told they were discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, I love that too. Do you know that Jesus is aware of everything? There is nothing that is hidden from his sight. He sees right into the most hardened heart. That's good news for us, by the way, this morning. He sees right into the disciples, and so he asked these questions, verse 17. He said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you do not see? Having ears, do you do not hear? And do you not remember? Jesus begins with a question. Do you still not understand? After all you've seen me do and say, Jesus is asking his disciples, do you still not get it? How can you not understand? And then he asks them, he says, are your hearts hardened? It's the same language that he used to describe the Pharisees. Hearts hardened by self-righteousness. And then he says, do you have eyes but not see? Ears but not hear? It's the same language he used to describe the Gentiles who are on the outside looking in, who couldn't possibly understand who Jesus was. And then he asked this question, do you not remember? It's the same language that we see in the book of Exodus. When the people of Israel were grumbling over bread. See, I think there's something far deeper to Jesus feeding the 4,000 than just Jesus feeding a multitude. There's something greater that he wants us to see, something he wants us to understand. If you know the story of the Exodus, you know it's a story of the people of Israel who were in bondage. They were enslaved to Egypt. They were literally in chains and in shackles They were treated ruthlessly. And so God sent a man named Moses to miraculously lead them out of slavery. He sent plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He sent miracle after miracle after miracle to deliver them from slavery. And after they had crossed the Red Sea and finally were free, do you think they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness rejoicing for all that God had done for them? If you know the story, the answer is no. Just like the disciples, just like you and me, they were forgetful. And it didn't take long for them to get hungry and for them to begin to argue and for them to begin to grumble They even said it would have been better for us to go back to slavery in Egypt. Friends, this is what happens when you forget the goodness and the grace of Jesus. We go back to things that enslave us. So there they are grumbling 
saying it would be better for us to just go back to slavery. And this is what God does out of his abundant grace. God sent them bread from heaven. It was called manna. There is something greater that Jesus wants us to see in the feeding of the 4,000. And so Jesus says to his disciples, look with me, verse 19. He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus wants us to see something in these two miracles side by side. You see, because there are lots of similarities, but there is one important difference. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he was feeding a crowd of Jewish people. And notice the question he asks his disciples. What were the leftovers? How many baskets did you take up after everybody was fed and satisfied? Twelve baskets. Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000 Jews. And there were 12 baskets left over. Abundance for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Jesus fed 4,000. 4,000 this time of not only Jews, but Jews mixed in with mostly Gentiles. And so Jesus asks his disciples, what were the leftovers? How much was left over after you fed 4,000 people? And they remembered seven. Seven is the number of completion, the number of fullness. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that God has sent bread again, bread in abundance, not only for Israel, but for the entire world. Not only has Jesus given us manna, Jesus is saying, I am your manna. I am God's abundant provision. You see, because God so loved the world, the entire world, that he sent his own son. He sent his son to take on our flesh, to live a sinless life so that he could take our sin in his body on the cross. He died in our place and he rose again so that we would have the grace of God in abundance to be lavished with grace upon grace to be given something that we do not deserve, salvation. Jesus fed the 5,000 and then the 4,000 because he wanted to show us that he is the savior of the world and that his salvation has come in abundance. This is how he put it in the gospel of John. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst, for this is the will of my Father. And listen to this, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
After explaining everything and asking his disciples these questions, Jesus asks the same question that he started with. It's the question that you and I need to answer this morning. Do you not yet understand? The disciples didn't. In fact, they didn't understand until Jesus rose from the dead. But brothers and sisters, friends, we now live in an age where we look back on the resurrection. And so this morning, if you're wondering, well, then how do I understand? How can I do what the disciples couldn't do? What do I have to do to understand Jesus Christ? This is the answer. Nothing. Just place your faith in Jesus. Receive him as the manna that God has sent from heaven. Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. The only one whose grace is more abundant than our goodness. The only one who has the power to set us free. The only one who is patiently pursuing us. Coming over and over and over again and saying, come to me. All you are weary. All you are heavy laden. Come to me and eat. Come to me and drink. Come to Jesus, the bread of life, the true and greater manna. Trust in his death and resurrection and find satisfaction and life everlasting. Let's pray. Father in heaven, truly, these things are more wonderful, more amazing, more astonishing than we could ever understand. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come to us now. We need you, Holy Spirit, to reveal to us the goodness of the gospel, the wonder of the amazing love that you have shown us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We pray as we sing this final hymn and go from here that you would make us a worshipful people, that in that place of amazement and astonishment, we would be worshipers. And that that worship and posture would be the thing that carries us through everything that we do, everything that we say, and everything that we are until you call us home or come again. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.